0: All right, finally, Revelation 22, fi- finishing today. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. As soon as you pass away, please open Revelation 23. No. no, I'm just kidding. Revelation chapter 22. Just a recap of the whole book of Revelation in a minute. You remember, chapter one is a vision of Christ. John, the apostles, on the island of Patmos, he's banished there, obviously, for following Jesus Christ. And he receives a vision from the Lord in chapter one. And, and first, it shows just a picture of Jesus and it has seven major attributes of him. And then in chapters two and three, it switches, and this is the second section of the. Of the whole book, actually, the whole book is in three different sections. you can read that in verse nineteen of chapter one, but the things which which you have seen, which is the vision of Christ, the things which are, which is the church age, chapters two and three, and the things that will happen later, and those that 's basically nineteen i 'm sorry chapters four through the end, and so chapters two and three it switches to the second section, which is the letters to the church. I recommend that you read over those and read over them and read over them. And just pray for our body, pray for us individually, pray for the church corporately, in Walla Walla and in the world, that the, that we would hear the message that the Lord has to the church. And then, uh, chapter four, verse one, kind of alludes to the rapture. We're out of here. We're in heaven. And then all of a sudden, from chapters four all the way till nineteen, you have the uh, tribulation period. Uh, we read about the—it's a three and a half year period. The Great Tribulation is a three and a half year period where God is pouring out His wrath on the earth. And you read—we've read about the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of wrath. And so you've got this seven, seven, seven. I know you try to get that when you're gambling. You don't want to be here when that happens. Uh, during this period of time, this this tribulation, this last three and a half years uh, period—a uh, seven year period—but the last three and a half of that seven is the Great Tribulation. At the uh, there are going to be some main players the, the beast who who we call the antichrist the false prophet who is kind of his religious counterpart in satan obviously and at the end of the great tribulation it, uh, the beast and the false prophet are going to gather the nations together to to try to defeat god at the battle of armageddon where uh, however christ returns on a white horse and in chapter nineteen with ten thousands of his saints as Ju- uh, as jude quotes from enoch. Um, which isn't recorded, obviously, so he's quoting record- he's from Enoch, so somehow they knew about that. But he returns with ten thousands of his saints, that's us, to set up a thousand-year uh, reign of, of Christ on the physical earth, and he destroys the armies with the word of his mouth and casts the beast, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet, into the lake of fire alive. So that begins this period of uh, of the thousand-year reign of Christ, and actually what kicks it off is Satan is bound and thrown into the abuso, the pit, the bottomless pit, for a thousand years. So no more deceiving the nations, no more, none of that stuff's going on. And we're gonna rule with Christ for a thousand years of uh, here on the earth, the rod of iron. It says he rules. Then, towards the end of the thousand years reign, for God's, for God's purpose, I don't understand. But Satan is released, and he stirs up one final rebellion, and, which is led by a, a probably a super demon named Gog. I don't know. That's what it kind of alludes to. You can you can parallel that name with uh, uh, the Lord of the Locusts back in I forgot which which minor prophet it was. And the army they come. Um, just like before, they were as many as the sands of the sea. So just a giant army, and they come, and they come focus on Jerusalem. They surround Jerusalem, but fire came down from heaven and smoked them. And so, then the devil is cast into the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet are. Not where they were, but where they are. They continue to be there for a thousand years. They were thrown alive. And so this begins the white throne judgment at the end of this thousand-year period. Where the dead, great and small, will be judged according to what they have done. We are not dead. We're alive. We're alive in Christ. The dead will be judged. Those who have rejected Christ. You know, again, we, we have this idea that living is breathing in and out. No, living is knowing Christ. Living is knowing Christ. Those who don't know Christ are dead in their sins and trespasses already. Condemnation is theirs. But if we're, in, if we're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We go on to life, and we believe that we'll go to the, the mercy seat, the, the, throne, the judgment seat where we will be judged according to what we've done, although this is not an issue of salvation. It's what we have done with what God has given us. And I believe on that day, some of us will be weeping. Some of us will be very sad because we've been given, given so much, especially as Americans, uh, and we've, we've squandered it on things that, may, that were not eternal, myself included. And so we, we but for the rest of the world, they will be judged accordingly. God is a fair judge, according to what they have done in their bodies on the earth, and God will send them into everlasting darkness and torment accordingly. Not the funnest thing to go over, is it nevertheless this is this is there, and so this thousand year millennium uh, uh, reign of Christ uh, begins with Satan being bound. And then at the end of it, there's a great white throne judgment. And again, the judgment of the dead will take place there. And then, last week, chapter 21, a new heaven and a new earth. Yay. The first heaven and the first earth are passed away. Peter describes this happening as by fire, the elements dissolving and all. And we'll read a little bit of that later. Chapter 2, verse 3, Uh uh. Sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, And the New Jerusalem comes down, described as kind of a cubed city, 1,500 miles square. You know, it's clear, yet it's made of pure gold and various other jewels that's illuminated by the glory of God. Now, obviously, this is John trying to describe something in human terms that is supernatural and from a different time and different age. So, you know, you can put... A little mark next to there saying, okay, more to be discovered, more you know, more to come. Okay, great. We're going to live in a cube. Okay. It's going to be cool. Okay. It's going to be Esher. We're going to be standing on the ceilings. You know, I don't know. All right. I'm not going to get out of all those details, but there's no need for the sun for God himself and the lamb will be its light. No temple for the Lord God almighty and the lamb are its temple. The streets are paved with gold. The most valuable thing that we have here on earth that we we, we tend to, you know, hoard and, and hedge against inflation and all this stuff. That's, that's asphalt in heaven. God's economy is a little different. Store for yourself treasures in here, heaven, right? Yeah. <laughs> Streets are paved with pure gold, yet they're clear. I don't understand that. It's going to be a sight to behold. And the part that draws us all is that God will be with us and we will be with him. That's what man longs for. That's what we long for to be with him, to communicate him, to touch him, to speak to him, to ask him questions, to, why am I here? What, am, what have you made me. What is it? And those things, we'll, we'll see him. And who knows what will go on there. It's going to be great. But we will have access to the king. Access to the throne room of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Than the angel, and so uh, chapter one twenty one verse eight says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea." And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautifully dressed uh, a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and He will dwell with them." And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is my favorite verse again. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, the things we're living in right now, has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new. Imagine if everything was new right now. Everything. I mean, streets, bodies, everything. Isn't that just a concept to behold? I make all things new. No second law of thermodynamics. Everything is going from useful energy to, you know, unusable energy. We're not getting from better to worse. Just the constant state of totally new, renewed, perfection. <laughs> that is cool. The ultimate upgrade, right? I am making everything new, he has said. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We know that when God says it, it happens. So write it down, he said. He said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost. To the spring of the water of life, we'll get into that. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. How awesome. And then God tucks this in the same verses. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so God packs in with his promises a warning. He always does, just like the prophets. So last week, we read of this magnificent city we've just described in short, <clears throat> Our future home. And in chapter 22, now the final chapter of Revelation, he continues to describe that city. So in chapter 22, verse 1, Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne room of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And these leaves, Uh, and the leaves of the trees are for the healings of the nation. What does all that mean? What does it look like? I have no idea. But there's this river flowing from the throne room of God. No sun, no hydraulic system, no... It's just consistently water flowing from God. It's as pure as crystal. Just purity. Purity. Because everything that comes from God is pure. No pollution. Pretty cool. Don't need to filter anything. It's going to be the best water we've ever tasted. It's coming from God's throne, so of course it's going to be pure and abundant. And it seems that God is perpetually creating this river coming from him, he's the source of it. That's awesome. Flowing out of the city, probably to water the earth. Who knows? Revelation 21, verse 6 says, And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and my children. God wants to give us that water of life. It will be ours. And then it's described in this, this city, a tree, the tree of life. The Bible begins with the tree in Genesis three twenty-two 22 through 24, which man is not allowed to eat from after they sin, right? Can't touch it. And they have these angels with the swords and stuff and they, you know, the whole samurai thing. They can't get in. And now we see the tree of life again. And so it says that there is this main street with water flowing down it and a, tr- and a tree is on both sides of the river. It's, that's hard to picture. Is it a giant tree with roots on both sides or is this multiple trees, the tree of life? I mean... Uh, John Wal- Walvoord says uh, this visual picture present, uh, presented is that the river of life flows down through the middle of the city, and there is a tree. The tree is large enough to span the river, and so the river is in the midst of the tree, and the tree is both on both sides. Thank you, John. <laughs> <coughs> others see <laughs> others see that the tree, uh, the word tree, is a collective reference, speaking of rows of trees that stand on either side of the river. Yes, I'm Mitch a... Uh, This picture uh, presents to the mind's eye what would appear to be that of a wide street with a river flowing down the center, like some of the broader canals in Holland, with trees growing on either sides. All of them of the same kind, and all called the Tree of Life. I do not know how we can make the figure out in any other way, says Spurgeon. So great men uh, have different opinions about the landscape architecture of the New Jerusalem. So i don 't care there's a river in the middle and there 's a tree of life it 's pretty cool, you know <laughs> This let like you would laugh at that, but the tree will bear twelve crops of fruit that it yields every month interesting we 're given a time indicator twelve crops each month. you know last week I was talking about you know hey the, you know no more time I, I believe that 's true it 's just going to be a different time scenario but there's going to be some kind of time in heaven, obviously, but it's going to be different, probably, you know, perceptually. I don't know. Perhaps God's, this is just a, a wild thought, perhaps God, the, the order of time that we have now is from eternity, and God set it up that way, and, you know, I don't know. It's interesting the way spheres are and all that stuff. But then, it's interesting also that before God created the sun and the moon and the stars, he said, let there be light. Light was in its place. Time was happening before the planets were put in their place. I know that's an interesting thought, but he creates something, then he puts the objects in the environment. You see that with people. You see that with the fish and all that stuff, the birds. So who knows what it's going to be like? I mean, who, kn- who knows? But there's going to be time. This leads us to the big question you all want to know about uh, heaven is, will there be food? <clears throat> yes we can eat it we probably don't have to but who knows again speculation but the fruit's going to be really good it's going to be awesome in the the, if the original garden eden is any indicator it's going to be super awesome very good It is good, and they. So the tree of life is not only produces fruit, but it says that the leaves of the trees were healing for the nations. And this is kind of difficult for me because the the word kind of says, well, how can there be healing for the nations if there's a new heaven or new earth and everything's hunky dory? So you kind of look at to at the uh, the words in the ancient Greek, and that word healing uh, pretty much means health giving. And so there's a there's a, a sustenance to it. It's 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 good for you. It's not it's. I don't know. So the word healing is therapeutic, which means where we get therapeutic. And it meaning healing, it should understand as a health giving. So these are picture, Are these pictures literal or symbolic? I don't know. You're looking at something eternal. So, But there's a tree with leaves on it that's awesome. And so going to verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. I love that. The earth was, is under a curse, was under a curse. And Adam and Eve were kept from the tree of life. After their sin, no longer, no longer kept from the tree of life. Christ has paid the price. Free access to the tree, its fruit, and the water of life. Most importantly, access to the author of it all. That's going to be cool. Because of Jesus, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, verse 4, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will will not need uh, the light of a lamp or the light of sun. For God, the Lord God will give them a light and they will reign forever and ever. This is our destiny, just eternal light. No need to sleep, no worried about darkness and going out too late and fear. Everything is exposed, everything is crystal clear and good. How exciting is that? The angel said to me, verse 6, these words are trustworthy and true. You know, I think just sometimes we question over and over. Could this really be? Could this place really be? It's trustworthy, it's true. It's going to happen. It's a reality. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And here we have words in red. Verse 7. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Jesus told the early church that he was coming soon. How much sooner is that for us 2,000 years later? You know, now some of us might be going, hey man, 2,000 years, that's not soon, God. We gotta, you gotta work on your terminology. Uh, Many in the early church were were complaining after 30 years, going, hey, you said you're coming back soon. What's going on, right? But Peter encourages us about being patient in 2 Peter chapter three, beginning of verse eight, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Another to the Lord, not to us. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's heart. That's why he's taking so long to us. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will, be, will uh, be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? It might seem slow. God, so much suffering here. What's going on? Why? There's so much injustice, so much evil. Why are you waiting so long, God? I don't want to bring my wrath upon the earth without everybody having a chance to come to me. And repent. It's very interesting. There's a, there's a prophecy. It's a little obscure in the Old Testament. And it goes, by the names of the different Old Testament patriarchs, starting with Jonah and ending with, Melch- uh, with uh, Methuselah. Methuselah was the person who lived the longest in the Bible, and the prophecy was like something about God coming down from heaven. This is all their names, what they mean in Hebrew, added up together. God coming down from heaven, and when he, and when he is something, when he comes down, it will be cut off. In other words, there's going to be something happening when this person gets cut off. And it's interesting, on the day that Methuselah died was, is Noah's 600th birthday, which is the day the flood began. And the the point is, that last guy, Methuselah, when he died, something bad was going to happen to the earth. Why was he the person who lived the longest in Scripture? God does not want people to go. He loves us so much. Repent, turn, come to me, because it's coming. So long he waits. So patient he is. He desires your heart, my heart today. It doesn't seem like God is here and it's happening. We're living in this world, which seems like our reality. But I'm telling you, there's gonna, this, is, this is nothing compared to what the reality of is coming. And so, again, he said, don't, you know, don't look at this as God not coming, as if, as if it's not happening. God, it's his patience being displayed. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy written in the scroll. Hey, you're going to be blessed if you keep the words. That doesn't mean keep it on our coffee table or in our book or you know, in our phone. Keep it. Hold it fast. Meditate on it. Verse 8 I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. So we have an eyewitness, an eye testimony. And when I had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had believed. Who had been uh, showing them to me, but then he said to me, "Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your fellow prophets, and all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God." So John's writing this down. He's, he's just giving a, a true account of what happened. Then I fell down and I worshipped this angel. The angel said, "Not stop. I'm just like I'm, I'm. I'm with you. I'm a servant. We serve God. Worship God." John is obviously overwhelmed. He fall he's been given this whole vision of eternity and this glorious being is there and all these types and he just is overwhelmingly falls, you know, down and starts to worship. This really shows a glimpse of us all, doesn't it? We're created to worship. You know, and when our hearts are exposed to eternal things, to eternity, we can't help but be drawn to worship. Sadly, in our fallen state, we sometimes worship the messenger instead of the author. Amen? We want to make sure that we're worshiping the author. And the angel sets him straight. Don't do that. And then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. Don't seal it up. Hey, you remember in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4? I know you all do. Daniel is given a prophecy about the end times. (laughs) He's given this prophecy, right? He's been given a bunch of visions and all this type of stuff. And he has this scroll, and then the angel says to him, he says, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of this scroll until the the time of the end. He says, Daniel, seal it up. It's not for right now. I'm giving this to you, but it will be for later on, for us. And then again in verse 9 of of chapter 12 of Daniel, it says, "Uh, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up in the seal until the end of the time. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So Daniel was commanded to seal up the scroll until the end of the time. John's told, don't unseal it. I mean, don't don't seal it. Let it go. Because the time is near. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's for us. This is for you, for me. God Prophetic things, telling the end from the beginning. He wants us to know who he is. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong, Jesus says in verse 11. Kind of echoing Daniel chapter 4, right? Let the one who... Daniel chapter uh, 12, sorry. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. In verse 12, look. I am coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the First and the Last, the Beginning and the End. Again, Jesus is coming back and his reward is with him. He's going to give you according to what you've done. That is cool. Well, I know we can kind of take it in the negative and go, well, okay, I'll get like a bag of rocks or something. no he's going to record you according to what he's given you. Now, to some he's given much, to some he's given little. But he's going to reward you. That is great. I just think of, you know, John and Ruth. I love those little kids, you know, and re- rewarding them, you know. Okay, go take in the trash cans. <laughs> you know, it's okay, forgot. Keep going, you know. Being faithful, what you give. Good job, you know. Great. Here you go. It's like, what did he really do? What did we really do? You know, in the light of things, God's grace is just going to be poured out upon us. It's going to be awesome. God working in and through us. Thank you, Lord. And he identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning of the end. These terms, first and the last, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, obviously it means I'm the beginning and the ending. I'm the A to Z in Greek. You know, and all that type of stuff. But notice, he says there's three different ones. Alpha, Omega, first and the last, the beginning and the end. Why three? That's interesting. Isaiah 44 verse 6 says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king. This is the Old Testament, right? This is patriarch god speaking here this is what the lord says israel's king and redeemer the lord almighty i am the first and i am the last apart from me there is no god so god in the old testament is identifying himself as i am the first i am the last i'm god there is no other god besides me this is me pretty clear we have a problem here because Jesus calls himself the first and the last. <laughs> Got a problem. Either Jesus is a lunatic or a liar or he's Lord. Josh McDowell, you mean, you know? Just to seal the deal, Re- Revelation 1.17 says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When he placed his right hand on me, he said, do not be afraid. I am the first in the last, I am the living one who was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. If God is the first and the last, and there is no other, then who is this speaking? And when did God die? No, God didn't die. Jesus died. Bingo. He is the first and the last. He is God. Jesus is the Lord. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Verse 14. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20 says, Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are red as crimson. They shall be white like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. We are made right. Our, Our sins were scarlet, and Jesus has washed us white as snow. And he's saying here, blessed are those who wash their robes. We're washed in the blood of Jesus. We're made right. And obviously, this is a reference to the good works, the life that follows. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts. The sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. My best guess is that the outside is obviously referring to apart from the presence of God in the lake of fire, the eternal place. If you're caught in that lifestyle this morning, if that described you, you know, come to Jesus, let him wash you and clean you up. If you're sexually immoral, if you're having sex outside of marriage, Repent. This is what it says. I'm not changing it. Repent. Turn. You know, if you're involved in in drugs, if you're involved in these other things, repent. God says these type of people, that's not your place. That's not who we are anymore. Let Jesus wash you and cleanse you. Repent. Turn to him. Let him give you real life. Don't go for the the substitute that Satan wants to push up on us, the things from this earth. God wants to give you things from above. That's why he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He has something for you. Will you resist the earthly so that you can have the heavenly? Let him fill you. Let him encourage you. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let everyone who wishes to take the free gift of water of life. So the spirit of God and his church are inviting the world to receive eternal life. God's inviting the world to repent and receive Jesus. Through Jesus Christ. He is our message. This is the message. Come. God's saying, I have this banquet prepared. You want to come? And he goes and invites all these people. Will you come? And he goes to the dignitaries and all these important people, and they they didn't show up. And so he goes, fine. And he opens it up to the poor and the wretched, and they start coming and filling the places. This is our message. God has an open table. Will you come and receive his free gift? Will Will you accept it? He loves you. He'll wash away your sin. Turn from it. Come and enjoy eternity with him. It's not up to us to get them in the door. It's our our part with the spirit working through the church, the bride, say, come. Here's the invitation. It's up to them whether they want to dine or not. God longs to satisfy the soul with good things. We remember John 4, when when in uh, the woman at the well, you know, hey give me a drink and basically jesus has this interaction with this woman and says you know if you'd known who it is you're talking to you'd ask me for water and i'd give you water and you'd never thirst again this water that god wants to give us if we ask verse 18 and i warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll if anyone adds to them wait a second thanks for putting this at the end I'm just kidding. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. So there's a strong warning not to mess with it. So I've attempted before God to just keep it pure before you. When when it's speculation, I've said, hey, this is my best guess. This is what other people say. There are many difficult passages I just had to say I don't know because I don't. Not enough information. Don't get it. Matt's intelligence. Matt's understanding. The average person, Matt. You know, we're just not there. There are passages that I would, you know, there are many passages that I would rather not talk about. I'd like to omit, skip over. So if I skip over these things and I don't talk about the things that are hard, then all, of a, then all of a sudden, you know, as I'm teaching this, if, God, if I believe that God says it and it happens, then guess what happens to me? Know, I'm not eating out of that tree and all that good stuff. I'm sorry. You're going to hear the bad things with the good. There are passages that would sound so much better if I just added something to them. You know? Well, I really don't want the plagues added to me, Personally? Just keep it the way it is. Just read it. Let the Word of God do what it's meant to do. God knows what He's saying. He wrote it in a certain way, and it's offensive at times. It's encouraging at times. It's all these things at once. Encourage you to study the book and keep it close to your heart and in your mind. You'd read it yourself. There's a blessing. Remember in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is it is written, because the time is near. This has been true. I've been blessed as I've gone through. My, I, my, my concept of who God is in eternity has changed. I've taught through, you know, I've read through it before and all that stuff. Great. But I've changed again. I've grown. Hopefully you've grown too. It's been It's a difficult book. Finally, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Sing it this morning. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Jesus is coming back. And if he's coming back, in what manner shall we live? And I'm going to go ahead and skip over that and save that for... My brother told me to be doing that this 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 week. But Second Peter chapter three verse two says, "Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives." Wow. So I'll let him go. That I do want to close by reading something by uh, Dr. Chuck Missler, uh, inspired by Pastor S. D. Lockridge, and and. This will be the end. It's just, uh, it's pretty cool. He is king of the Jews, king of Israel, king of all ages, king of heaven, king of glory, king of kings and Lord of lords. Do you know him? Do you really know him? A prophet before Moses, a priest after Melchizedek, a champion like Joshua, an offering in place of Isaac, a king from the line of David, a wise counselor above Solomon, a beloved, rejected, exalted son like Joseph, and yet far more. The heavens declare his glory, and the firmament shows his handiwork. He who is, who was, and who always be, the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Alpha and the Tau, the A and the Z. He is the first fruits of them that slept, He is the I am that I am, the voice in the burning bush. He is the captain of the Lord of hosts. He was the conqueror of Jericho. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the very God of very God. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is our avenger of blood. He is our city of refuge our performing high priest, our personal prophet, our reigning king. He is the loftiest, loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the miracle of the ages, the superlative of every good, everything good. We are the beneficiaries of a love letter. It was written in blood on a wooden cross erected in Judea 2,000 years ago. He was crucified on a cross of wood, yet made the hill on which it stood. By him were all things that were made. Without him was, uh, was not anything made that was made. By him all things are held together. What held him to that cross? It wasn't the nails. At any time, he could have declared, I'm out of here. It was his love for you and for me. He was born of a woman so that we could be born of God. He humbled himself so that we could be lifted up. He became a servant so that we could be made co-heirs. He suffered rejection so that we could become his friends. He denied himself so that we could freely receive all things. He gave himself so that he could bless us in every way. He is available to the tempted and the tried, blesses the young, cleanses the leopards, defends the feeble, delivers the captives, discharges the debtors, forgives the sinners, franchises the meek, guards the besieged heals the sick provides strength to the weak regards the aged the aged regards the dil, uh, rewards the diligent serves the unfortunate sympathizes and he saves his offices are manifold his re- his reign is righteous his promises are true his goodness is limitless his light is matchless his grace is sufficient his love never changes his mercy is everlasting his word is enough his yoke is easy and his burden is light he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's irresistible. He's invincible. The heavens of the earth cannot contain him. Man cannot explain him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him and learned that he, they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault with him. The witnesses couldn't agree, against, couldn't agree against him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. He has always been and always will be. He had no predecessor and no successor. You can't impeach him and he's, he isn't going to resign. He's the name above every name that the name of Yeshua Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord his king he is the kingdom his is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen oh, love it let's pray All glory and honor to you, Father, for sending your son Jesus to rescue us. Now, Lord, fill us with the life that you promised. Teach us to walk like Jesus walked, to deny ourselves and to follow after you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep our eyes upon eternity, God. Keep our hearts beating for you. Take everything away from us that would not be of eternity and and bring you glory. Fill our lives with opportunities. Opportunities to minister like Jesus ministered. Not in the power of our strength, but in your power, Lord God. Bless this church. Continue to feed us your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.